and welcome to In the Skies of Love, a podcast dedicated to the classic anime series Legend of the Galactic Heroes. My name is Kamel, and I invite you to accompany me as I make my way through this classic space opera for the first time. Joining us on our voyage are our guides Tom and Joel, two diehard fans. Together we'll be reviewing and analyzing each episode of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, exploring its complex characters, intricate political machinations, and breathtaking space battles. We'll delve into the themes, symbols, and historical references that make this series a timeless classic, sharing our thoughts and insights with you as we journey through the skies of love and war in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. So sit back, relax, and join us on this epic adventure. Um... Okay, so we're covering for this episode, uh, episodes one and two of the show. That's right. Which are titled, um, what are they titled? The first one is titled, In the Eternal Night. And the second one is Part titled... Two is the Battle of uh, uh, Estate? Estate. Astarte. 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 Okay. And, and it's sort of a two-part story, isn't it? Yeah, I think they're kind of conjoined. It's all... Yeah, one it's running. It's like a hundred and ten part story, really, over four seasons. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess. I guess we should sum up like that. We're we're going to be covering the whole show, um, uh, all one hundred and ten episodes, and we'll sort of be doing it like a couple episodes at a time. Yeah, I think that's episode. Yeah, so maybe when we have sort of longer arcs, we can watch the whole arc in one go and cover the whole thing in one go. But um, yeah, so should we just start by? discussing how familiar you are with the show well i'm not at all familiar with it besides you two telling me how much you enjoyed it um and th- that being the impetus for us doing the show mm. i don't know anything about it besides the two now that i've watched okay and tom and i have seen the show um we watched it together i guess a couple of years ago or a year ago and um, during the pandemic a year ago. Yeah, yeah yeah um so yeah uh, should we go blow by blow through the plot of the first two then? Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Okay, I'm just going to read it from um, Legend of the Galactic Heroes fan wiki. Good, yeah. Yeah. 1st of January, 796 UC, an Imperial fleet consisting of more than 20,000 warships under the command of Reinhardt von Lohengram engages the combined Free Planets Alliance 2nd, 4th, and 6th fleets in the Astarte Star Zone. Against the advice of his subordinate officers, Reinhardt decides on a blitzkrieg strategy, moving to quickly assault the Alliance fleets individually before they have time to complete their encirclement maneuvers. I feel like it kind of jumps ahead a little bit in that synopsis. Um, when we kind of open the show, I think we open with um, with Reinhardt uh, in the Imperial camp, right? Uh, he, he's on the ship. I mean, aren't they in the middle of the yeah. battle, or they're yeah. about to begin the battle? Uh, it, it sort of the show sort of throws you into it. Really. Yeah. Well, I was going to say actually, I think I, I made a note about this. There is like a really short introduction to like the setting of the show, which lasts yeah. like uh, only a few minutes, like a couple of minutes. Um, and like, I'm pretty sure it starts with a reference to the poem Ozymandias. Um, it kind of rolls across like a, a desert, and there's ruins in the desert. Um, and I feel like um, I kind of missed that the first time I watched it. I thought maybe that was like a diegetic, that that was a scene that was going to appear in the show. But now rewatching it, um, I'm pretty sure that that is a, a reference to Ozymandias. 
Um, and then, uh, so I, I noticed this as well. My question was, um, I, I didn't know if that was, well, I guess you're revealing now, but I didn't know if that was like within the context of the show, mm -hmm. like the, the, the ruins of a previous empire in, in the show or something like that. Uh, I didn't recognize the symbols right, yeah. on, on, the, on the ruins. They're sort of like, there's like statues or something or like the ruins of, of an old civilization yeah. in the desert. I, uh, I think maybe it's both. It's definitely not like a location to my memory in the show. Um, I guess it's ambiguous whether or not we're seeing the ruins of one of these civilizations involved in the war, like thousands of years in the yeah. future, um, or whether we're seeing a past civilization or whether it is just not in the universe at all and we're just seeing a reference to to the poem um but yeah it's definitely uh very i can't it was quite caught, caught me off guard i didn't remember it was in the beginning of the show um and yeah it's uh yeah um so so this this leads me to my next question which i had watching these mm -hmm. two which is um uh obviously they give you like a fake star date mm -hmm. uh for when this is yeah. happening they give you two fake star right. dates yeah. in fact um so i don't know if this is like a purely fictionalized history of humans mm -hmm. or if this is like far in the future of our current world right um yeah i don't want to spoil too much it is there is a continuity from our time to the time in legend of the galactic heroes but it is a very very long uh, period of time um right is it a bit like dune in that way isn't dune meant yeah, to be yeah exactly so it's kind of this uh, okay. far future setting where earth has kind of become irrelevant or forgotten or whatever um so yeah the center of civilization is no longer earth um so yeah. got it so it's with that it's it's there but it's irrelevant yeah I, again let's not spoil too much but yeah it's okay. um okay it's it's not a key part of the story um especially at the beginning um gotcha all right um uh there's 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 some things that really um uh, some of this is because it's like a 1988 animation, mm. but like uh, I don't know if you this was bothering you, but um, when when characters speak, they start speaking before the dub <laughs> yeah. kicks in. Yeah, it does. It does happen. I think this first series, I, I think it does get less rough, like in the second series onwards. Um, I was also quite surprised. The first series has some animation errors. Things are a little bit more janky. Um, I think my understand. I haven't read like too too much into the history of the development of um, Galactic Heroes. Maybe it would be a fun thing to do at some point for the podcast. Um, but my understanding is that the show is really like a labor of love and was way too ambitious for the for the size of studio that was was taking it on. Um, so yeah, there are there are some uh, teething pains in the first series. I think. Um, yeah, uh, it it does seem ambitious. I saw in the credits it was. A, a name studio top gun <laughs> is that who made it I, they, they they were in the credits yeah. oh. uh yeah I, I don't know if they've made any hits recently i <laughs> um okay so the, the the show opens with that battle and we get um a look into the inside the imperial like war mm. room i guess with um the the main character whose name is Longbrand. yeah um, oh, you're definitely going to remember that after, yeah. <laughs> I feel like they say it yeah. a lot. Yeah, I think we'll say it quite a lot, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, 
we also get a look at the um the like I forget the name of it, Bezan, the the like mm, Switzerland yeah, yeah. that's like <laughs> the neutral um sort of feudal well, run by a feudal lord. Uh, who looks a lot like Lex Luthor from the Superman he comics. Does, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. Mm. Um, I get the sense he's like I, I, the whole sense I get of Bazan is that it's it's Monaco. Mm -hmm. It looks like Monaco to yep. me. Down to all the 80s stuff as well. Monaco still feels like the yeah. 80s there yep. to me. Um, and he's Lex Luthor's like a classically greedy 80s businessman in the old films, mm -hmm. which is how that dude is presented to me in the suit with the the mock turtleneck he's got going yeah, yeah. on and stuff uh, um but it's unclear to me why well i guess we'll find out but why and how they're separate from this conflict right yeah yeah i mean um so maybe it's a good time to kind of bring it up a little bit but the guy who wrote the original stories um is a historian by training so a lot of the like the environments or places do have like direct historical parallels so i yeah, Fazan is very clearly inspired by yeah some of these smaller European countries like uh, Monaco or Liechtenstein or uh, or Switzerland, I guess. Um, but yeah, it will we will uh, kind of find out more as we go through the series about why Fazan has managed to remain or how it's managed to remain uh, neutral. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it doesn't present its leader as particularly morally complex in this first episode. Um, it's very obviously like interested in in profit and making money so yeah he's the most cartoonish part yeah. of the show yeah. mm -hmm. um the, the 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 rest of it aspires to more serious sci-fi yeah feels yeah. like down to the very like um <laughs> when i saw the costumes of the empire mm. they felt very david lynch dune to yeah. me yeah that's true um very shiny leather and yeah. Like it's cool. It's good. The visual design of the show is good. Yeah. My first note that I wrote is sick ship design. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, we can we can gush about it in the future because we'll see a lot of the ships as well. Um, I think that some of the ships in the show are like, uh, yeah, some of the best kind of just visually striking designs for ships in any science fiction show because they are so they look like so functional. A lot of them, uh, especially yeah. the the free planet ships, they just look like. Um, th there's no kind of beauty to them or like design to them. They've just been slapped together for a uh, for the purpose of war. I really, yeah, I just like the way everything looks in the show. At that scale, they look like freighters. Yeah. They look like they they carry a lot of. Well, I guess they do carry a lot of people, yeah. but yeah, yeah. And the um, the fighters as well. Like I love the way that they've got the uh, hinges like on the thrusters. That as they're moving around, mm. they can kind of very quickly redirect themselves through space. Um, because they've yeah, all of their thrusters are on hinges. Um, it's yeah, very cool. Oh yeah, when I, when I first saw those, I thought they looked like because um, you, you see them quite small. I thought they were like Gundams. I thought they would be mechs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the costumes. I think it's kind of that like eighties science fiction thing of we want them to look a bit like the Nazis, but not too much like them. Um, so yeah, you have a lot of like leather and. Uh, um, kind of uh black going on but yeah i think the costumes look look really um pretty striking even in this first episode i think they're very useful for distinguishing the two civilizations as well mm -hmm. like you're introduced to so many characters in this first two episodes and watching it again for the second time through i was sort of stunned by how many of these characters um 
are yeah, like when, when I watched it the first time, I was overwhelmed by all these characters. Like, who are they? How on earth am I going to remember them all? And watching it again, I was like, oh yeah, this character and this character and this character's in the first episode and this one's in the first episode. Um, it really does uh, drop a lot of people in there. Um, which yeah. I, yeah, having those costumes is, is quite helpful for at least distinguishing who, who's supposed to be on what side early on. Yeah. I think it helps inform you about the nature of the... Um... The, is it is it the alliance and the empire? Mm-hmm. Um, in that the empire is so like aesthetically focused, mm-hmm. they're like they want to look cool, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like costumes to ships to the way they name things. Like um, I, I I don't know if we can if I can mention the fortress, yeah, which is like a gl- like a black orb covered in liquid metal. <laughs> Uh, that has a weapon called Odin's hammer, yeah, yeah, like yeah. or Thor's hammer. Yeah, Thor, Thor's hammer. Yeah. Oh, sorry, they mention a planet Odin yeah, right, yeah. as well. Yeah, Odin is the capital, I think, of the empire. Yeah, yes, that's fucking cool. Yeah. Like that's very cool, <laughs> um, and that's clearly deliberate. Whereas the the planetary alliance, they are not as cool. Like, no, yeah, um, yeah, it's... yeah, a lot more pragmatic and a lot more kind of kind of modern i guess how we we'd imagine it compared to the empire who uh yeah but it almost like just just lifted out of uh, weimar germany right just and just projected into space yeah. um and that just becomes more and more apparent the more of the show that you watch yeah it's um it's, so in, in this in this battle it's um uh Lohengram's, uh ship or is is his formation of ships <laughs> going up against three different uh squadrons of ships from the planetary alliance yep and he's he's surrounded and like undermanned compared to the fpa and they're like we've got this handled this is going to be a classic fpa victory for us (laughs) yeah i think um um, yeah it's kind of it's amazing how much of the show is contained in these first two episodes i think it's kind of what tom was saying as well not just the characters but the same conflicts and struggles for each side will just keep appearing over and over again of the free planets alliance being in like a tactically superior position and just getting completely screwed over by incompetence and corruption and um people who should not be in positions that they're in um and then also seeing these characters in the imperial camp questioning low and graham's authority and going against his you know and desiring to like like there's the character kind of jumping ahead of it, but there's a character who turns around ignoring his orders um, and his ship gets blown up. And the mm. reason why he turns around is because he wants like glory in battle. When you have this this struggle in the Imperial camp, like the whole way through the series of how do you stop your characters who are desperate to die in battle from, uh, <laughs> you know, doing that and then losing um, an important part of your, your army. Um, Which is what both sides deal with, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, what is Lohengram's um, opposite? What is his name? Yang Wenli. Yang Wenli. Mm-hmm. Um, his his commander mm-hmm. is equally foolish. Yeah, yeah. In when I don't know, if foolish is the right word, but he is like, I'll give up winning this fight to save my friend yeah. who I won't save. Yeah. 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 Um. Uh. It. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that they do. They're they're clearly meant to be mirrored characters. Mm-hmm. The two. They're they're painted as like. Military geniuses, yeah. uh, so much so that they know each other. Yeah. Yeah, seemingly, yeah. they're like famous. I don't know. I, that was one thing I didn't understand. I understood why Lohengram was mm-hmm. famous. He's like 
the prince or the count. He's like part of the royal family or something. Yep. I understood that much. But um, uh, his his mirrored figure in the Planetary Alliance, I don't understand why people know who he is. Yeah, it's a lot more understated. And um, it, they do briefly mention it. I think Loam Graham himself mentions him as the, I don't know, the strategist or the hero of some previous battle in El Fasil. Um, but right. it, yeah, it does take a little more time for you to really understand um, why he's famous or why he's known or why he wasn't already in command of that ship, for example, and was just this Commodore in the background. Um, but yeah, it, 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 I think in a few, I don't know how many episodes it takes, but, um, it does, it does clear it up a bit, but yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, it did, uh, one of the other things I noticed during the entire battle sequence across the two episodes is the casualness with which everyone discusses the battle mm. and the war. Um, not even just from the top military figures who are eating dinner in their like, very fancy dining rooms. Yeah, yeah. I think that were aboard the yeah. ship. Um, but even down to like the soldiers and the pilots who like lost limbs and stuff, they're like, damn, we've got to keep a good work-life balance when we're, <laughs> you know, like you got to get your rest when you're in war, um, which I guess is true. But also it, it seemed like even the presentation of the battles in the show, when they're not, they're not using big, like bombastic music, they're using like classical yeah. Yeah music during the battles that don't match how it would feel i guess it, it felt more less like war and more like war games mm. yeah like that these guys were playing battleship yeah i think that's quite intentional on the part of the show there so the show does both and i think you see it uh in the second episode when we'll, we'll kind of get to this plot point i guess but when lap dies um you have yeah like this sort of classical music these broad ship movements and then when the missile strike or when the laser strikes the bridge and, uh, you know, the bridge explodes, there's suddenly like blood everywhere. There's bodies going all over the place. Fires break out. That's quite yeah. shocking. And yeah. Lap is pinned to the wall by a piece of debris. Um, this happens, I think, throughout the show where you have this very like drawn out view or like, you know, drawn back view of, of warfare, um, which suddenly gets like, uh, you know, brought into focus. Um, Whenever you feel that you're forgetting that you know, people are people are dying on each of these ships, the show will remind you. Um, it's a very like strange artistic style or artistic choice, I guess. Um, but I yeah, I, I actually really like it. Um, it's a uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, it does have this depersonalized feeling a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, I I understood the, that it was doing that for me mm. in the audience. But it seems like it does it to the characters as yeah, well. Yeah, sure. They're all very jaded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or oh, it's all been normalized. Yeah, the, the the music as well as um, yeah. I'm sort of used used to it now. So, but it's quite quite interesting to talk about that throughout all four seasons. This sort of music is used throughout classical pieces, many of which are very recognizable. Um, which I mean, I, I think part of the reason they chose all this was because um, it was free to use. I guess. Um, Oh, is that not score for the show? No, no, yeah. It's, it's all uh, operas and, um, yeah, classical pieces. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it fits in quite nicely with the kind of aesthetic of the Empire as well. But it definitely gives the show a, a certain character as well, I think, like this music choice throughout that, that 
makes it stand out in in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I don't think it's something we necessarily need to discuss prematurely. But um, one of the complaints that people have about the new series, uh, like the modern remake, um, is that although the so I think they they really switch up this like drawn out view. It's I haven't seen it um, yet, but I do intend to watch it at some point. Um, but my understanding is that it's a lot more personal. It's a lot more, um, you know, camera comes in closer on a sort of storytelling level. Um, but they still use this classical music. And a lot mm. of people online complain about this, that, uh, you know, the vibe of the music choices no longer fits the, the tone of the, the show. Um, which I think is, yeah, it's interesting when you think about the original series and how well these two choices go hand in hand, this sort of war games feeling. And these classical pieces kind of swelling over the top. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think the music contributes to this um, old idea of the future. Mm-hmm. Is is that's what the show feels like to me? It reminds you know what, uh, it reminds me a lot of. We're, we're talking about the dining rooms mm-hmm. that are like old fashioned, like white cloth, yeah. uh, wood panelled, but they're in the ship. Yeah. Um, which is just strange. That's deliberate because you want to feel that sense of home life while on, on the mm-hmm. ship or something. I assume that's why you do that. Um, I uh, did a tour of the Lloyds of London building mm-hmm. uh, in London, I guess. And um, it's it's like from the 80s, so the same sort of time period, or maybe even earlier. And it, it was like a futurist sort of building. It looks a bit sci-fi. If you haven't seen it, you should Google it and look at pictures mm-hmm. of it. Um, but if you go to the, I forget, the 17th floor or something of that building, or maybe it's the 11th, um, they have a dining room in there that was taken brick by brick from a manor in Wiltshire from the 1700s. Oh yeah. That is still exactly how it was then. But you walk into it from this 80s sci-fi building. Right, yeah. So it feels exactly the same way. That's what I thought of when I saw those dining yeah, rooms in the show. that's a really good connection. I think, mm. I, yeah, I mean, I definitely, you pick up on this throughout the show, yeah, that like, like, for example, even in the Free Planets Alliance, they have inside the ship basically like a high street. And there was a very brief shot of it, but it's like a shopping arcade with like... I was on the yeah, ship. Yeah, it's on the ship. Yeah. So it's like a, a city street, you know, with neon signs and um, cafes and all this kind of stuff that they've constructed inside the ship, I guess, to make people feel uh, at home. And I think this mm-hmm. is... Um, I, I really love this because it feels to me far more human than um you know kind of more modern uh uh stories would 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 allow for um when you yeah why wouldn't you bring things that you are familiar with uh into space with you uh why would everything look like 2001 or all these sorts of things yeah i i think it's a good yeah, a good connection well one reason is that well i guess if you, it would be impractical mm-hmm. but i guess they don't care about that. like i'm looking at a shot of the imperial uh war room mm-hmm. Where they're looking at the giant screen with the you know the battleship yep. pieces, um, and the the room is covered in gold and marble, <laughs> and there's like Ionian columns yeah, yeah. or like Corinthian. Co- some architect is going to like send an email telling me some I'm wrong about what kind of column it is, um, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't yeah. know. I have no knowledge of architecture. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so yeah, that's that's just. There's there's no reason to do that except to say you like that and you want that sense of home on the show. I guess so. I mean, I think in the case of the Empire, it kind of, uh, you know, like 
uh, Umberto Eco talking about fascism being an, like an aesthetic ideology first. This idea that like mm. you need to impose a certain aesthetic onto everything you do, otherwise fascism begins to lose its um, legitimacy. Uh, to me, like the empire's use of all of these architecture, architecture architectural flourishes or you know wood paneling things or whatever, yeah, it's like forcing this ideology into space, uh, bringing this nobility out with you uh, onto these, you know, these warships. Um, in the case of the Free Planets Alliance, I guess uh, most of the war rooms and stuff are pretty stark, right? Like Yang Wenli's war room is is just steel and uh, and like mm. computers, and it looks a lot more science fiction, a lot more what we'd expect to see. Um, yeah, so I think. Uh, I think it's yeah very intentional. I mean yeah, I I should look up um, the background of the author of Legend of the Galactic Heroes and what exactly he studied. I think it's Chinese history. Um, I think he's a classical Chinese historian. Um, but yeah, he's deeply interested in totalitarianism and uh, and fascism. So not not uh, not that he's a fan of it. <laughs> he's interested in the history of it. Yeah, <laughs> just to clear that up. <laughs> yeah, I, yep. gotcha. Okay. Um, one other thought I had when they're showing the, um, you know, the battle formations on the mm. screen, I think one of the reasons I picked up on the the battleship nature of mm. it is because it shows everything on a two D plane, mm. and they circle and like strafe and like flank on two D planes, but they're in space. Yeah, they, they can operate in three dimensions, yeah. right? Surely that would give you some tactical. You could literally play three D chess. <laughs> Um, is that is that just a, a a simplified look to explain things for the show, or do they ever get into the three D nature of space warfare? To my memory, people do in the in future episodes pull off like three D maneuvers. You have like maneuvers where people come from underneath or from on top. Um, yeah, but on the whole, I think battles are fought like basically on a plane, like you say, um, and. I'm, I think maybe that's for the sake of the audience, or or maybe there is something to that. You know that the um, there are rules of engagement that that neither side is willing to break. Yeah, yeah I, I think on the whole, the representation of the battles in that you know with, with the screen with the battleships kind of style to it is used throughout. Um, it doesn't really get updated or anything like that. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't really remember much about the, the 3D nature of these battles. Um, but I think... And I'm not sure how clear it is in the first two episodes because it's, it's, it really throws you into the, middle of the, uh, in, into the middle of this battle for the first two episodes. And so much of the show is, is um, not space battles in space and, and takes takes place on the ground in planets or in um in palaces or in uh yeah like political centers that i think that like the the representation of how these battles are taking place is is not super important to the themes of the show in a way like the strategy is important and the um the uh, relationship between the characters through strategy is important, like the the second guessing of one another or um, th this aspect. But yeah, the the actual mechanics of the battles I always felt was not too important, and maybe this is why um, they they go for that simple style. I'm not sure. Yeah. 
I definitely think that's true. I mean, I think, for example, like the second episode, we're kind of jumping ahead again, but the second episode ending with an Ouroboros with the two characters basically eating each other's tails. Um, the battles in the show are like more symbolic and they're more like dialogues between characters and between ideologies than they are interesting strategic space engagements. Um, and I think, for example, in the case of this episode, we need to, w the storyteller needs to win the genius of Yang Wenli from the audience or needs to win the genius of Lo and Graham from the audience. And that's basically the only reason why this battle is taking place um, kind of on that scale. Um, and we get to see all the other interactions going on at the same time. But yeah, it is not a show that's very interested with the intricacies of its um, space combat system. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not that show. Hmm. It's interesting that I would spend the first two episodes primarily focused on that. Yeah, then. yeah. But I, I think it makes more sense when you describe it as dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, it's so it's a show really about these two guys who can't communicate, <laughs> and they can only communicate by <laughs> throwing ships at yeah. each other. Um, <laughs> uh, um, Husna was uh, my sister was sat. Uh, next mm -hmm. to me while we were watching the first episode and she was like oh this is really just gay battlestar galactica isn't it okay. it's yeah. really about uh, it's really about a lot of guys and yeah. their ability or their inability to communicate um their feelings towards one another yeah. um uh so we have a friend who's also a fan of the show and he just calls it gays in space because it is like <laughs> an extreme and i was wondering how many episodes it would be before it came up it is an extremely homoerotic <laughs> show um and homo romantic and it's it's very there and it, it doesn't even feel like subtext um a lot of the time like and also i mean obviously now i'm in japan and tom's in japan um there's uh th these characters are so popular uh it, with women's uh doujinshis they're like there are like uh, what is a sorry what is a doujinshi like a sort of short manga story like fan servicey manga story um so sometimes they're like um, explicitly pornographic, but a lot of the time they're not. And these are fan made. Yeah, all made by like a, an, an artist who's been licensed to do so. Um, okay. And these are incredibly popular. These like romance doujinshis between the characters of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Um, uh, which, yeah, it, so the, this kind of homoerotic subtext is very, um, it's very well established. And I think basically everyone sees it. Uh, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was wondering when, when it would come up. First episode. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's clear from the get go in in, in that uh, Lowen Graham only seems to care about one single uh, planetary alliance soldier, mm -hmm. uh, who he doesn't refer to by name, yeah. but he just refers to as that man. <laughs> that or... man. <laughs> um, I mean, speaking of homoerotic undertones. I, I wrote on my notes, um, my boys are always are already boozing it up um, because <laughs> uh, the two characters, uh, uh, Roy and Tal and, and Mitamai, who I don't even think are named in this episode. They, the they get their names are... flashed across. Ah, yeah, the, yeah. Um, so yeah. like there's so, so many characters uh, get like a, they get like one, line, I think, yeah, they have like one brief conversation there where they're like, ah, uh, yeah, he's fine without us. He didn't need us for this battle. It's basically the only thing they say to each other. But their names flash up. So, so sorry, who are you referring to? Because I, I don't think I know those names. So there's these two guys who are sitting in a in a kit in a kind of restaurant or at a table Dining, drinking wine. Yeah. Um, 
and they're like sitting there like cross-legged like oh we knew that we knew that low and Graham was going to do well oh he's doing so, he's doing great you know um yeah that that's Roy and Tal and Mittermeier and that they uh, they will be key characters I guess I was just surprised to see them in the very first episode I didn't think that they even appeared until like season two um uh, is this the guy with the heterochromia? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, he is one yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know who you mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, they they briefly mention other like sets of characters. There's the two pilots, mm. right, or the two lower soldiers. One who's got like a robotic arm or something, right? Yeah. The, they're discussing like the work life balance of, <laughs> of of war. Are they are they also important characters that will show up, or is that just meant to represent? I the, actually think the those two soldiers who just talk about like the sleep pod. I don't think they come up. Maybe they do again, but to my memory, they're not. Well, they're definitely not important characters. Um, but uh, Poplin and oh god, I can't remember his name. Is he called Konev or something? Yeah, Konev or something. Konev. Yeah, they, they they are very important later on. Um, the two Those are pilots. the two fighter pilots. Yeah, yeah fighter <clears throat> pilots. Yeah. Are the, are they the two that go into the? The hypno sleep? No, no, no. Those are those are different characters. Yeah. Um, okay. That, that's just they're there to demonstrate that like that the soldiers are treated like cattle. Yeah, like... yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of difficult to know when you watch this first episode. Yeah, who's going to be important and who isn't? Um, I would say that I was surprised that most of the characters who appear on screen will be important characters going forwards. Uh, I expected there to be more like fodder in the show um in the first episode but really i think it's just those two soldiers everyone else will appear again uh, at least once okay yeah. the, i uh when they um <clears throat> they they cut away from the battle a couple times mm-hmm. uh once to show uh lex luther on Faisan, um also to show Lohengram's sister, I think. Anna Rose, yeah. Who's, who's living at like a, a French like manor or something. I couldn't tell what kind of architecture it was. It was clearly like, you know, Western European, mm. uh, a mansion of some kind. And they're in the garden, completely without a care in yeah. the world. Yeah. Uh, seemingly without any knowledge that, like they had to be told that the brother's in battle yeah. and stuff. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, I mean, obviously you'll pick up on this as well as the show goes on. But I think it mentions that uh, the Isalon Corridor, like the Free Planets Alliance has not been able to break through the Isalon Corridor um, at all. So uh, the entire war has happened beyond the borders of the Empire. So the people at the heart of the Empire, yet, I don't think they have any kind of, no one really cares. Obviously dead soldiers come home, but um, yeah, I guess that's, that's what you're seeing there, is the nobility have no immediate threat to their well-being so um it's all very very chilled out <clears throat> so, so they they um w- w- i think we'll get to the corridor because i mean they mentioned mm. that in episode two um uh so uh in, in episode one this this battle plays out with lone Graham, uh demonstrating his own tactical genius mm-hmm. uh by taking on the larger units one at a time to take them out one at a time um <clears throat> which gives uh, Yang Wen Li. Yang Wen Li. Yep. Yang Wen Li. Um, his own opportunity to demonstrate his genius in uh, d- doing game theory and like <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to uh, salvage the situation that his um, uh, commander didn't um, 
allowing to previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that episode ends with them finally coming into conflict. Yep. For the first and last time. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy that they never fight again. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? You what think the show would be setting that up or something, but... Um, so when they, uh, one thing I wanted to mention about the um, aesthetics is I really like how they depict all of the ships as like organized grids of lights mm, yeah, in space. Yeah, yeah. It looks extremely cool. Yeah. Uh, I actually made a note about this as well, that one of the things I really love about the show and how well researched the original stories were is like when people write space opera, especially, and when they write these stories with like these massive fleets um the human brain is just not very good at imagining like that many moving parts in a battle or that many uh people and at, at the end it says that like 100 was it 15 million or 1.5 million people died on the side of yeah. the free planets alliance and you're like a massive success for the yeah, NBA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you're like when you're talking about space opera when you're talking about empires of trillions of people uh, these are the sorts of numbers you'd expect to lose in a battle. And yeah, like the ships being depicted as just these walls of lights um, with sort of no, uh, there's, it's it's not, it kind of, when you zoom out that far, um, all of the heroism sort of disappears. I really like this. Uh, yeah, it's very well researched uh, or very well sort of imagined, I think. Well, well speaking about the number of deaths that they happen yeah. that happens at the end of the battle, um, when they finally decide to both retreat because it's a untenable mm-hmm. situation uh, from the Ouroboros that they create. Um, so 150,000 losses on the Imperial side and 1.5 million on the Planetary yeah. Alliance side. Yeah, something like that. I think yeah. that was right. Now, when they both report back to the Imperial <laughs> planets and to the Planetary Alliance, they both describe it as a massive success yeah. for them, yeah. a huge win. Yeah. Now, I couldn't tell because of the scale of the conflict and the, the amount of population that they have if they actually consider it a success mm. if it is purely propaganda to say no no don't worry everything's fine <laughs> we want i think it's propaganda on both sides i don't know how tom feels about this but definitely that was my interpretation at the end i made a note like both sides claiming victory <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. I think even in the moment, you you hear Yang Wenli and Lo and Grant both basically call it a stalemate, and then they, yeah. and then that's it. Yeah, but the news filters back differently. Um, but again, this will, this will just happen over and over again. Like people trying to, uh, you know, mask or massage the truth to to gain favor or power. Is um the 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 the, part of the uh, planetary alliance is much larger than the empire, right? In terms of, I think like purely size. I think it's actually the other way around at the beginning of the show uh, that the empire is is oh. much larger in terms of population. Um, wow. Okay, I I understood it to be like maybe this is wrong. You're telling me it's wrong, but I understood like the FPA to have a much larger population, way more soldiers, way more uh things they can throw at the empire but the empire has a clear technological advantage i I think uh i don't actually think that that's the case i could be wrong um and maybe we can issue a correction next episode if i'm wrong (laughs) but uh i think that at the beginning of the show the empire has got a numerical advantage but not like a massive one um but that the empire has like internal uh, kind of political struggles which will become clear um as time goes on 
which make it slightly less effective. Obviously, the FPA has its own political struggles, which I think will literally come up next episode. Um, but the Empire has been a little stunted um, and hasn't been able to bring like its full power to bear for a while. Um, I think it could also be that the military the military numbers are maybe even, or the, yeah, the, the Alliance might have slightly more at this moment in time. But in terms of the general population, I think the Empire probably is a bigger... Um, I don't know how long we wait before we hear about some of the history of where these two uh, groups of people diverge um, in the history as well, which might explain that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Well, speaking of history, um, when 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 I watch a science fiction thing that involves uh, a war between an empire and an alliance, mm -hmm. um, or it can be fantasy too. I feel like they're often referring to real world things, yep. <laughs> like famously Game of Thrones and the War of the Roses. Mm -hmm. uh, Star Wars was the U.S. versus Vietnam, yep. um, like when George Lucas originally wrote it. Uh, uh, retired filmmaker George Lucas, and um, so I think the the like the symbols and like naming conventions being used for the Empire mm -hmm. and the Ansari Alliance, the like the central figure of the planetary alliance is has a chinese name yep. mm -hmm. right that's and he has a german name on the imperial mm -hmm. side um is it is it meant to reflect like a like a speculative conflict between like a central european empire and a pan asian sort of conflict uh, is that i don't what, i don't that's sort of what it felt like yeah i don't think so i understand that it might seem that way from the get-go um, or from the first couple of episodes. But I think as you get to know the Free Planets Alliance, the fact that Yang Wenli has a Chinese name is not a coincidence. Maybe I can talk about it in a moment. Um, but the Free Planets Alliance is like extremely multicultural. There's people with various different names and ethnicities, whereas the Empire, uh, although there's an implication that it's multicultural, the nobility is not. Um, they're all uh, German <laughs> names and German uh, heritage i guess um my inter well there's one that's definitely true as far as i can tell from doing research which is that the free planets alliance is partly based on taiwan so there is a, a large um amount of influence from there and it's why yang wenli has a chinese name um mm. but i think there are uh, the other two major influences on the story are the napoleonic wars which is very as we go through Lo and Graham's story, um, and uh, also World War II, which is fairly obvious um, from the sort of uh, Free Planets Alliance being a stand-in for the Allies and the um, Empire being a stand-in for, for Nazi Germany. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of other influence coming in, and there probably is stuff from like the um, Warring States period in China and all these other things because he's. Uh, that's that's his area. The writer um, is Chinese history, right. so there's going to be stuff that, as Westerners, we're less familiar with. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think it's explicitly supposed to be this speculative uh, kind of future conflict. Um, gotcha. Um, at the at the end of episode one, mm -hmm. uh, to just roll back slightly, um, who was the man who was violently killed? It was a friend of Yang Wen Li's. Lap, mm -hmm. who 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 they sort of thought was similarly like quite competent and intelligent mm -hmm. and 
uh, and just immediately killed yep. off. And lets his lets his like soldiers have photographs of their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. He has a hologram <laughs> of her head, yep. which uh, spins comedically past the camera. Yeah. To the yeah. But it's, it's funny to me that it's just her yeah. head, yeah. like a mugshot, yeah. like not a photo of the two of them together, <laughs> yeah. or like a memory. It's also like I thought at the time, it's not a very candid photograph. It's like very staged. She's like looking directly at the camera and smiling. It's very awkward. <laughs> it's what you'd have today if you did a 3D scan of your yeah, head. Yeah. yeah. Exact same yeah. thing. Maybe that's how they got it. You know, you have to go to like a booth and they scan your head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both episodes uh, begin and end with a narrator, mm. uh, you know, opening them and closing the episode. Yep. The way the narrator talks, mm. um, he, he doesn't seem. He seems omniscient only in the sense that he sounds like he's talking from the future, yeah. describing a history of what happens. Because I think at one point at the end of episode two, he mentions, you know, in the future, they'll describe this event as mm. X, Y, Z. Is that just stylistic? Or am I meant to infer that this is not a omniscient, fully to be trusted narrator? My Maybe Tom could also offer a... Yeah, I don't know if you have a... Uh, I think this is. I don't. I don't think the narrator at any point strikes me as untrustworthy. I think it is like a. It's meant to sound like a history, um, so it's like the events that we're seeing throughout the show have already happened, um, and we're yeah we're we're reading through that history. I guess my question is, if this is a conflict between two powers, and that's a history being mm. told. Uh, is it a history written from one of the sides mm. because they won and they get to determine it? Or is it objectively, he's describing it as it is? Uh, I never, it's an yeah. interesting question. I hadn't really <laughs> thought about it. I hadn't thought about it, yeah. Well, that's what you get when you bring a brand new viewer to the show. There's <laughs> <laughs> a new viewpoint on things. It's way too early to talk about how the show ends. So maybe we can revisit this conversation at the end of our journey, and we can decide. Sure. What, what, what I think we should do at the end of this episode is I'll give my predictions mm. for how I think this will end. Yeah. Okay. 108 episodes from okay. now. Yeah. Which I'm sure I'll get right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll try not to there. give anything away in our facial expressions or in our responses to you. To just... You can turn your cameras off when I'm doing it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, but yeah, the narrator, I think he does introduce every episode and probably closes every episode um, or nearly every episode. Do you think in, in a way that's a reference to like Star Trek when um, the, the, the like the 60s series mm. would open with mm. Kirk like saying Stardate, um, Captain's Log, and then describing the events leading up to... It reminded me of yeah. that. I mean, I guess it's difficult not to. It's totally possible. I think that that was an inspiration. I mean, I think it, Star Trek is definitely an inspiration. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you could be right. I kind of read it as like, because it's a historian who wrote the stories, he is telling mm-hmm. a story that he would be interested in reading. And that means seeing it, the whole, like the narration is happening from the point of view of history. So you have a historian like discussing these events and, and whatever um so yeah it's always at a scale that the the, the writer finds personally interesting um but yeah 
not a very interesting. Yeah, I guess my, my yeah, the, the yeah, the natural question for me then is, uh, uh, I understood it to be a history, mm. but there are you know, if you read a history of India oh, from yeah. a British guy in eighteen eighty eight or whatever, versus an British Indian scholar today, mm-hmm. they'd have different views sure. of what happens. Yeah. Uh, so I was just wondering if it ever, you know, had that subjectivity mm. to it. Be interesting. It's a good question. I think I would have to rewatch the show with that <laughs> lens in mind. Yeah, because I, I hadn't... Or like, does it imply a planetary alliance bias or the opposite, maybe? Mm. Or or it's told by, from a view of someone from Faisan or something? Yeah. I mean, I think the show definitely has, like, uh, its angle is, like, great man history. Don't think that this is, like, at no point does the show, like, drift into social history at all and maybe there's like one of when you say great man history what do you mean like the important events take place in the minds and between the important players uh, of the story so like yang wenli and ryan uh, and and lohengram fighting on the battlefield is far more important than the lives of the soldiers on those ships or these sorts of things it definitely mm-hmm. has that lens um and that bias there's only a handful of episodes i can think of which kind of break that and take you uh kind of lower down to the um to that level it definitely i don't think i don't think it, it's very interested in social history at all um so i think definitely in that sense there's a bias in terms of is there a bias towards one side or the other i personally don't think so i think it sees the important or like the great men on both sides of the story as equally uh brilliant and equally interesting um so yeah yeah, i I think you could maybe read into the political leadings of the writer a little bit throughout Mm -hmm. the show what 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 he might value i guess um and and therefore maybe might favor one uh, civilization's viewpoint over another or something like that but i don't think it comes through the narration to mask what's actually happening in the show. Um, so I think the narrator is honest in describing the events that take place throughout the show. Um, but maybe some of the things that happen in the show, you might you might say, oh, this seems maybe like the writer of the show is, is leaning towards this viewpoint a little bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it definitely like yeah keeps the question the whole way through like asks questions and I think even the characters ask the questions themselves of um, what type of civilization is is better to live in um, something like the Free Planets Alliance or something like the Empire or something different yeah I think we mentioned it in texts before but I remember someone framing the question that the show is asking like the central question that the show is asking is is it better to live in a fair, just, and functioning autocracy or in a, a corrupt um, democracy? That Making that uh, call, the writer doesn't seem to have like a, a great answer. And the whole process of the show um, is uh, kind of an attempt, I think, to figure out the answer to that question. Um, after finishing the show, do you feel like you both have an answer to that question, even if the show doesn't present one itself? 
Or maybe you always had an answer. And... Yeah, I mean, I think I always had a, <laughs> I always had an answer that I'd rather live in a corrupt democracy. But um, yeah, I don't. I think especially given the the show didn't make you think. Well, I don't know. <laughs> this other side looks pretty good. <laughs> I think the show. Oh man, now we're really getting off the rails. But the show never gets around the main problem of a like if you have an extremely just and fair and benign autocracy. The problem is mm -hmm. that your ruler is always going to die, and at at some point, you know. Um, and I think the show acknowledges that problem all the way throughout. You know, this the the mortality of the the figurehead at the at the at the top of your kingdom um, is an issue. Um, whereas with democracy, even if it is failing in the moment, because it's defined as something which can change and and reshape itself, um, it is far less uh, damaged by by uh, a bad ruler. But certainly doesn't gloss over what things are like when you do have a bad ruler or yeah, bad rulers. Yeah, it certainly doesn't. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and how unchangeable that can feel for for yeah. people as well. Um, I don't know. This is a slight. This just reminded me of this. But um, have you ever seen the? I think it's from like two thousand five or six. It's a, a Hong Kong film, I think, by Johnny Toe called Election. Have you guys? I've not this? seen it. No. No. It's a film about the triads. Mm -hmm. Um. So, like, I guess the equivalent of the mafia in in that part of the world, mm -hmm. and the fact that when a head of a family like steps down mm -hmm. or dies, uh, the son doesn't immediately take on the role right. of the head yeah. of the family. Yeah. They have an election yeah. amongst the heads of the family as to who the head of the triad should mm -hmm. be, which I just think is it, it's interesting to partner democracy with <laughs> like a corrupt enterprise yeah. in that yeah. way. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, that just reminded me of I that. I mean, the the Mongols, like uh, the um, like the Khans of Mongolia, were elected leaders, right? So it's kind of similar there, where you have this uh, kind of person leading the biggest army and the largest empire in the world was mm. was elected by the noble families of of uh, of the horde. Um, so, and that, so, are you, is like Genghis Khan was elected? I don't think he was. Or uh, he founded it. He founded so. it. Well, maybe he was, but uh, yeah. Then after him, there had to be an election. It was like when you read European history and when the Mongols arrive in Eastern Europe, um, a lot of the time they just seem to miraculously leave, and people are like <laughs> thanking God and saying that like Jesus has intervened or whatever. But as it turns out, they all have to go back to Mongolia to hold the election um, because the the Khan is dead. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, it's. Um, it's a really, yeah, it, it does happen. And also, yeah, the HRE, the Holy Roman Empire, which is basically like Germany before Germany. Um, mm -hmm. I'm oversimplifying, but that was a, an elective empire as well. So it has happened throughout history. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not the norm. Um, uh, after, uh, was it Lappy's death? Mm -hmm. Lap, Lap. Lap, Lap's death. Um, <laughs> They, they sort of cut to uh, uh, a piano tune, yeah. um, which sounded so much to me like the in memoriam music they do at award shows mm. for the like celebrities that have died in the past year. Um, and then it cuts to his fiance playing piano at home mm. in like a strange, like metallic neighborhood with it's like like a forced. I I, I don't know how to explain. Not a naturally made community. Mm -hmm. Um, if I like, like a military encampment almost, but the inside of her home felt 
like a house from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then my <laughs> the biggest shock I had in this episode when they revealed her name to be Jessica Edwards, um, which I just I, I the the names in the show <laughs> really something else. Oh, um, the names are really all over the place. I don't know what lap is supposed to be. Uh, like, as in what that name is supposed to be short for, or like, I think it's the surname, right? But I don't know what um, lap. I don't. I don't yeah, I, I'm not really sure. He's supposed. Maybe to be it short. is a real surname from somewhere, but I, I thought it was. Yeah, he was called. I think he had a French name. Wasn't he called like Jean Jean Robert? Robert. Jean Robert Lap. Lap. Yes, I, I guess he's French. Yeah. Maybe. He's wow. Um, yeah, the names are great. Uh, like, and I hope you are good at remembering like a hundred German surnames because there's <laughs> going to be a lot of them. <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm gonna have to get good at it. Yeah. Um, after after a while, you 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 pick them up. I think the major characters they occur so frequently after a while that you you do know who they are, especially yeah. when a an episode decides to focus on them. You're like, oh, this guy who's been in the background a lot. And uh, every time he appears, I forget who he is moments later. Now it's his episode. Uh, and and now I remember him forever. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. Is it? What episode do you think I will remember the names by? You think? Uh, um, it's of a, well, I'm not sure I remembered the names of everyone by the end. There's the guy with the white hair. In the Imperial camp. Yeah, who is that name. guy again? I can't remember his name. I, I can't his remember name. his name. <laughs> I have a feeling he's he's in a lot of episodes as well. He is, yeah. He's an important yeah. character. Yeah. Mm. Um, in this episode, they also talk about the corridor mm. that they they do battle in. Um, could you could you explain the corridor a little bit to me? Because it feels like the idea that they can only have ba- battle mm. in this small portion of space is strange to me. Mm. It, it doesn't there are no walls, there are no roads <laughs> in space. So I don't understand how it can only be in this small stretch of space that they can so battle. They in. only go into this a couple of times in the show. Which is weird. But I'm pretty sure that they have like a jump technology, like a jump drive system. Yeah. And the reason why they can only fight in that corridor is I guess you need to be near a star in order to grab enough energy to do the jump. And it just so happens that this part of space is separated by very few stars, which does actually happen in the real galaxy, you know, between spiral arms of the galaxy. There'll be very thin, kind of, um, or very few stars. So you could end up with this kind of void between um, between regions. So I think that is the point, is like, it's not that there's like a very specific part of space, it's just that, in order to jump from this part of space to this part of space, you would, there's only two possible routes you can use using the stars available to you. Um, and so battles are always going to take place uh, in those regions of space. This makes sense to yeah. me. I think my confusion was, I think a lot of my confusion has been down to the diagram mm. of, of the, the routes and the battles and stuff. Because when they first showed the battleships and they seem fairly close to each other, mm-hmm. and then when Yang Wenli is like, uh, Space is big. Uh, it's going to take us like six hours yeah. to get to the other yeah. uh, group. And I was like, 
Oh yeah, I guess that is true. <laughs> uh, but when you look at it on just the the pieces on the map, yep. they look like they're right next to each other. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It'll take yeah. five minutes. Yep. Um, so yeah, I guess that that makes sense. But they do they do mention uh, just really in passing that one battle did happen like away from the corridor. Um, like uh, I can't remember where it is when they're talking about Isalon Fortress. They say that like one happened like far mm. away from one of the stars. They mentioned all the names of the battles, yeah. right? Battle of Tiamat yeah. One, Tiamat uh, Two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like the battles uh, in the skies over like this star. Like, I can't remember which one it is, but uh and I guess the implication there is that they tried to sneak around by um, you know, taking the long way around a star and trying to go unnoticed. Um but I'm not really sure. I don't think they go into detail on it in the show. Is is the show interested in like the sort of mechanics of space travel in a way, like like or, or I think about like the movie The Martian yeah. and they try to like slingshot around planets and use gravity yeah. to help them. Is is the show interested in that at all, or it's not? Not, not really. Really, I would say the show doesn't really ever address many technological questions but when it does it uses them for um ooh, kind of like narrative or historic purpose i would say um we will see i don't know when they're going to appear i i don't think it takes too long for this group to appear in the show but um there's definitely like yeah, technology that gets thrown into the into the setting that is used to just basically give this group of characters a specific aesthetic that the um yeah. um that the yeah that the the writer of the show wanted them to have um like you know why would they be wearing this kind of armor or why would they be using these kind of weapons or something like this? It's basically like yeah. technology that justifies um, having those things in the show. Um, or yeah ch changing the, the the battlefield i guess in terms of strategy sometimes technology gets introduced to to mix those kind of things up but on the whole yeah it, it doesn't really um explore these questions yeah i think um it doesn't seem like a visual designers uh it doesn't seem visual design first no. in how they depict technology no. um i was thinking about uh when um uh Yan Wang Li is heading to the graveyard mm -hmm. at the end of episode two. And he drives in a sick car, but a very cool looking car. It looks like it looks like the car if the car we'd have today if the Model T was a DeLorean. Mm -hmm. And like they've had that amount of advancement since then. Um it was very cool looking. Um I think there was even like a rickshaw or something like that there as well. Yeah, like yeah. a sort of like a a bubble car or something. But then they'll also have like a 1980s video telephone that looked yeah. like it was from Back yeah. to the Future. Yeah. yeah. Uh next to a piano. I, I guess it makes sense that technology would be a mishmash and it would be incongruous. It not everything would fall into a unified aesthetic design unless you yeah. Yeah. lived in fascist land, I guess. Yeah. Um Yeah, I, I I think the the visual design is made more interesting for being that way. Yeah. I agree. I think, yeah, I think it was, uh, uh, it's kind of like, 
when you go into Star Trek, whatever, you're going in for the big science fiction ideas. And maybe you'll get like a nice sprinkling of like political intrigue or interpersonal kind of conflict. Um, mm -hmm. But I think when you go into Legend of the Galactic Heroes, you're going in for the political drama. And it just so happens to have space battles and spaceships in it <laughs> uh, for you to, you know, uh, so you don't get, get bored. <laughs> uh, Do you think that's the reason why the writers decided to put it in space? Like, it's, it's, it's a question of the producer said, what if we put this in space? But really, he wanted to do a historical. I just think it was about the scale, right? Like, I think he wanted to tell, like, a massive historical mm -hmm. narrative. Um, and space, I mean, he wanted to set it in the future, so it wouldn't be a historical drama, I guess. Um, and space just seems like the natural place to set it. Um, but It's just interesting to me that he said, he, he, he put the story in space, yeah. but actually he's not that interested in space, <laughs> or, like, or the, I guess he's you know, any of the trappings that come with that. So, like, this is a really different piece of art, but, like, for example, um, the visual novel Heaven Will Be Mine is set in space, but there mm -hmm. the use of space is like about um, it, it. It becomes this like emotional and uh, spiritual place, uh, which represents like um, opportunity for the characters or the 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 opportunity for change for the characters. I think so much science fiction takes this like materialist lens, and it becomes so fascinated mm -hmm. with the technologies and the. Um, the kind of uh, what kind of structures we'd need to actually make it into space um and leaves behind all of these questions of what will it emotionally or spiritually mean to live in space or what in the case of heaven we might what will it mean for gender dynamics or for gender um itself or in the case of legend of the galactic heroes what will it mean for uh, politics so i don't think it's like a mistake that it's in space or just a coincidence but I also don't think that the writer is yet at all interested in the technology or materialist side. Um, it, this is purely a story about uh, people and their ideals being projected onto space, um, if that makes sense. Um, so after uh, Jessica Edwards uh, finds out about her fiancé uh, dying, um, they, she meets Yang Wenli at the graveyard. Mm -hmm. Really beautiful scene, mm. like uh, the way it's like depicted uh, at like twilight and stuff. Um, it, 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 we get another look at uh, Faison and the evil bez uh, businessman in Monaco. Mm -hmm. um, but we also cut away to the sister of Lohengram. Mm -hmm. uh, what was her name again? Anne Rose. Anna Rose, I think. Anna Rose. Um, is, is the writer a big fan of like Emma and like, <laughs> <laughs> like her friend comes to her and is like, you know, if they get to come, you know, <laughs> she's talking about um, Lowen Graham's like second in command mm. or something. Oh, yeah, and, like, well, he, and I get the sense that like she wants to marry mm -hmm. him or something like that. It felt very Emma Pride and Prejudice that sort of oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, you'll get some, you'll get some Austin stuff. <laughs> Good. <laughs> The show has been a real surprise for me. I gotta say, uh, it's not. I, I you you did preface it well by saying it was like political and whatnot, but even then, it has um, surprised me. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to mention earlier on, but I forgot to, is that the theme song 
to the oh, show. Yeah. We should we should talk about it before we close off. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a national anthem. It sounds like something they would play at the Olympics. Yeah. I, I assume deliberate. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So there is a tendency for the opening songs of the show to be deeply bad and deeply funny and for the outro songs to be incredibly good to slap hard yeah to absolutely slap yeah i think in the in the skies of love is not the worst offender i think they really escalate over the season so that's something to look forward to the singer is the same um and i'm not quite sure whether it's the way that the tune the melody is written or not that she seems unable to hit some of the notes that i expect to hear as part of the melody um wow she's pitchy for you but uh (laughs) but the yeah they yeah i think think every new season the theme song doesn't disappoint in that respect I've really grown to love them a lot. The yeah. the, the the fourth opening songs, and some of the choice very... of the lyrics is uh, astonishing. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the skies of love is is a great start, but I think there's a, there's a long way to go. Yeah. And, and the skies of love is the opening, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know what that means yet. Uh, is is that something I I will learn? What that means. Of the um, skies of love. I mean, you're, you're, uh, yeah, I guess you're so. here at the beginning of every episode in the theme song, but um, <laughs> I'll learn eventually. I'll, I'll force myself to learn. Um, I don't know if uh... I didn't hate it. it kind of <laughs> reminded me of um, the uh, the theme to Final Fantasy, mm. like especially like the one from fifteen, um, because it's, it's, it sounds like. But, like a bit national anthemy, a bit weddingy, mm. like a bit, I don't know, ce- cele- celebratory. How would how would I say that? Celebratory. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the song. I really hope that the um, besides the singing, which well, is I really hope that the singer itchy. never listens to this podcast. <laughs> it's just that there's that one note at the end of "In the Skies of Love," which, although I think she does technically hit the note is not delivered with the amount of force that it probably should be. Um, so it sort of feels very disappointing when the song ends. Um, anyway. I think we can blame that on the audio engineer, right? That yeah. was just a bad take. Yeah, maybe uh, so. And every singer yeah. has a bad yeah. take. Yeah. I'm sure she kills it live. Yeah. 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 I've, I've heard live versions of the song, um, and they're a lot better. So, yeah. yeah. So this this is really popular, though. The, the show. Yeah. It's kind of like a cult classic, I guess. It, is it like um, how the West thinks about Twin Peaks? In Japan, I think probably similarly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of old. So, like, whenever I ask my coworkers about the show here in Japan, they're like, "Oh, my dad really likes that show." You know, like <laughs> that. That's like kind of the level that we're talking about. Um, nobody talks about it like our age in Japan. Um, so, and there is yeah. the, there is the cafe the the it's still still standing. Well, you get to talk about your coasters now if you want. Well, I think we can leave discussion of the cafe in detail for a future episode. 
I see. But there is a cafe in Tokyo themed after the show, and I have been, and I do have some coasters for some of the characters. Um, when you say it's themed after the show, is it like a 17th century dining room? Or Yes. <laughs> the walls are like wood paneled. It's like flock, oh, is flock it really? wallpaper. It's all very like plastic, but yeah. And they have right. themed meals and they have, <laughs> I, I want to go through it. They've drink themed drinks. I, I can't mm. tell you all of the themed food and drinks because technically they're spoilers. So I think maybe we can, <laughs> we can bring one up as they naturally appear. Um, okay. You know, throughout the show. Can you make the drinks at home? Uh, some of them. Yeah, some of them. Yeah. Like maybe for a special episode, you, you make the low and gram or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure I can do that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a fun place to go. So if you're ever in Tokyo or so, uh, then uh, we should go. Uh, I hope to be. Um, is it styled after the... Planetary Alliance or side after the Imperials? Because one of them has some unfortunate mm, connotation. Mm. It's sort of in between, I'd say. Sort of in Directly between, in between. Yeah. 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 We're really centrist cafe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah. one of the coolest things, there were two cool things that happened there. One is that there was a girl who had every single coaster that the, the like, they're like commemorative coasters with pictures of the characters on them. And this mm. girl had a, um, a folder with like Pokemon card sleeves, you know, with every single coaster and like duplicates of every single coaster. And she was just selling them in the cafe. They all had like labels on them. And she allowed us to look through the folder of coasters that she had collected over the years. And it was like multiple folders, you know. Yeah, she like, like priced them all. And um, the thing is they don't, you can't get these coasters anywhere other than when you purchase food or drinks at this one specific cafe so i don't really know who's who's trading these things other than people who go to the sounds cafe like she's the entire secondary market yeah so these. while we were sitting there people were coming over and looking through her collection and buying coasters from her so there was a whole like black market of legend of the galactic heroes coasters um which I think we've we've probably got the scoop on. I don't think anyone's ever reported on it before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. um, did, so is the one you got. Um, if you can show it to the audience, is that uh, <laughs> so? So who? I guess you can't tell me who that is. Maybe I I I honestly can't tell you who this is because I, I don't recognize <laughs> who the that new, is. It's the new art the style. New, yeah, I, I don't I don't recognize the character. I think it Does might it have be a name Poplin. on it. It might be Poplin. But like, uh, where's the modern Poplin? Where's the name? Uh, there's it's just kanji. I can't read it. Okay, I'll figure it out. So, so your 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 view on mm. on the new show, the rebuild mm. of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, mm. is reject modernity, embrace tradition. <laughs> that is my. That if is, you could summarize yeah. it for me, that's, that's my position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But only on this show. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to advocate for that position on, on all things. Um, yeah. just on this and Evangelion and, uh, right. the Netflix Cowboy Bebop show. I think there's some shows that don't really need to be remade. I don't really know what was wrong with the original Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Um, that I don't know why you'd want to remake it. I don't know. Animation's a little 
rough. I mean, it's not a that's not actually a criticism I have of it. It's just um, the faces are uh, Lowen Graham's second in command, the best friend or whoever. Yeah, okay, okay, I see it. There's such little animation going on in his face. Yeah, yeah. That I th- I feel like he's a sociopath, <laughs> and I don't know that the show is actually intending to tell mm. me that. But the animation is telling me that because he he has a soft smile on his face always, regardless of the situation. I think he's supposed to look kindly. No. No, no, no. <laughs> he looks like he'd kill you and not care. Um, so, uh, but I, that's that's just budget, isn't it? Yeah, that's just, just budget. They don't budget to animate eyebrows and stuff. Also, it was all done with traditional cells and stuff. So, yeah, look good. All the painted backgrounds and stuff look nice. Yeah. I like that. Um, you know what? I I was on the fence, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna watch all 108 more <laughs> You're episodes. On the fence. I can't believe you made us record a podcast <laughs> with you. <laughs> I'm glad we managed to convince you over the course of the recording that um, it's worth, worth continuing. Uh, no, I was, I was, I was in it for the long haul from the beginning. Yeah, yeah I was. That was settled. Uh, but I think we basically covered the first two episodes, I right? Think so, yeah. I don't think there's any. There's anything else anyone else wants to talk about? Mm. No, it's good. I think I went through all my notes. Me, me too. <laughs> um, just, just some quotes I wrote down from from the dialogue. I don't know if this is down to the translation or. You know, it was intended. Um, let me just see. From episode one, um, I don't know. I can't remember who says this now, but I liked. Um, uh, it's like holding a barrel of gunpowder, gunpowder to our belly and saying, "Shoot me, please." <laughs> uh, which I think that's Yang Wenli talking to the commander and describing their situation. Yeah. That's uh, uh, which is just a good line. It's a good line. It's a classic, classic saying. Um, I, do they do they say it a lot in the show? No, I wish. I wish it came up again. <laughs> there was the the classic line when uh, Reinhardt's fleet is being destroyed, yeah, and um, he looks absolutely miserable, and Kirky Ice leans in and he's like, "Are you frustrated?" With like a smile on his face. Yeah, <laughs> I was really pleased to see that come up in like the episode one or episode two. Yeah. That that meme is everywhere, um, and yeah. it's, it was nice that it came up so early. Uh, another one I liked was um, after uh, Yang Wenli's ship gets hit with rockets or mm. lasers or whatever it is, and they're asking about has someone seen this, you know, one of their um, comrades. Uh, just as after they mentioned him, the comrade shows up and says, "I'm not going to hell that easily," <laughs> which sounds like it's from a Sylvester Stallone movie from the eighties. <laughs> sounds very like John Claude Van Damme, that sort of. <laughs> so good. And his character is supposed to be American, this that one. Good. Then that's good writing. Dusty. That's oh, dusty. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay, now well now now I'm definitely gonna watch all wandering eight more episodes. <laughs> uh and the final quote I wrote was um towards the end when um Jessica Edwards is Jessica or Jennifer? Jessica Edwards speaks with um Yang Wen Lee at the graveyard and she she tells him like I don't blame you, but this is kind of your fault. Yeah. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. And then he just sort of nods and goes, our job was war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just a funny way to phrase that. Not strategy. No. <laughs> our job was war. Just just war. I got to do war. I'm going to see you, honey. I'm off the war. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it sounded. Yeah. Uh, he really fucked up his job that day. He did. Yeah. Um, 
Good show. Good, good two episodes. I'm looking forward to the next uh, 108 episodes. Oh, yeah. Now, you know the show better than I do. The next um, arc, I, I guess. That, this, this felt like an ending of an mm. arc, maybe yeah, a two-parter. Um, is the next... Is the next one like? Are we going to watch two episodes, three? What What do you think? Let me we check the synopsis. Look it up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's often, probably going to okay. be two. I think it's going to be two. Yeah, often we sort of switch back for be, between the Empire and between the um, the the Free Planets Alliance for a couple of episodes at a time or something like that. So that might be one way to I don't know to s- decide when an arc finishes or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah, we we will check the synopses and and um, work it out. Cool. Okay. Um, uh, uh, I have to give my predictions, right? Oh for the, yeah. What yeah, I the, think is going to happen I, for the next I'm desperate to hear this, yeah. Or at least in the, the short term, um, maybe. And the long term, yeah. I want to hear the long term ones. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go for a big. Uh, I think mm. uh, big swings. Uh. I don't know how many planets are in the Free Planetary Alliance, but I th- I have a feeling that um, the Planetary Alliance will have to deal with like separatists or like a planet wanting to leave the alliance, or maybe even like uh, separating off and joining the Empire or something like. That. Or maybe they get colonized by the Empire. I think there's going to be like tussles over um, one of the planets in the alliance. Um, Yang Wenli will ascend to like a top position in the military, like an equivalent to uh Lowen Grams. Um they'll have they'll have like lunch together, like heat, <laughs> like with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, like the one time they meet in the whole show. With Andre. Yeah, like sizzling with tension, <laughs> but it'll be the only time they meet. Uh that's probably not true, but I feel like that that's a b- I feel like they won't meet that often. There'll be lots of like telegrams and stuff, um, or like FaceTime. I don't. They do have FaceTime. <laughs> don't they? Yeah. Yeah. they don't call it that though. <laughs> they do. Yeah. I don't, don't, um, they, they should. They should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd make it way easier for um, the audience to understand what's going on. And Anna, Anna Rose uh, will will die, and that will cause Lone Ground to like lose it. Um, I I just sense they they have a strange relationship. Those two it feels. Like they're royals or whatever, and she seems strange, and um, that's that's the sense I get from those two. And um, we will never meet Yang Wenli's family because he's an orphan. Interesting theory. First scene of episode three is going to be in that family dinner <laughs> <laughs> with the whole clan. Um. I think Jessica Edwards will be a main character. It seems odd to introduce her in this way and not have her come back again. Like, is she, her her role doesn't seem to be just the cost of war. I feel like she's her the death of her fiance is an impetus for her to do something larger. Uh, like maybe become maybe she starts like an anti-war movement or something. Like a I'm not sure. And um, I think the. Planetary Alliance is going to take it in the war. They're going to win <laughs> one to three <laughs> in the finals. Uh, but I think they're going to take it. You just can't just overwhelming numbers. Mm. Uh, so we'll play back that clip in episode like fifty five or whatever when we get to the end. I I would love to hear your predictions updated. Like we don't have to do it like every podcast, but 
hearing updated predictions as we go would be great. Yeah. Maybe at the end of every season, yeah. right? Because yeah. there's like four seasons, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe I do it at the end of every season. I want to roll them together as well. Like uh, in the last in the last episode, I think we should roll them together. You know, with like your predictions from this episode. And then as it's sort mm -hmm. of fading out, fade in your next one, and it just keeps escalating with some music in the background. Um, maybe maybe mm -hmm. even me saying this, I think the music is really going to make it seem very dramatic. Yeah. And then we'll reveal... The good news are. is I can just use the music from the show, which is public domain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's actually the whole reason we, we chose have... to do this podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think I can find, um, uh, like chiptune versions of the music from the show to put in i mean most of them are very famous operas and ballets so probably definitely yeah, yeah. all right cool um that, that's that's all my notes this is great this is an even hour and a half as well so good time to finish out okay sure i guess this is where maybe like a little music bumper would go yeah and then i would say the outro right? so like thanks very much for listening uh, we have a Patreon where you can pay the troll toll to see. Oh, I did not write the script. I did not ask ChatGPT to include that we have a Patreon. No, shit. Do we have a Patreon? No. Yeah, we do. Have <laughs> <laughs> we literally do. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of In the Skies of Love. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. If you have any comments or questions, please reach out to us at intheskiesoflove at gmail.com. That's intheskiesoflove at gmail.com. Thanks very much. I'm Ira Glass. <laughs> Audible, hope you enjoyed this program. <laughs> uh... <laughs>